What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Kafaro Cast. We're here bright and early, 6 a.m. on a Friday morning with the one and only Chris Rowe from Rowe Hunting Resources. We got Aaron across from me. I uh, just wanted to drop a couple sponsors' names here. We got GT's Kombucha. I got the chia seed flavor, cherry chia. Aaron, what do, you, berry. what do you call this chia seed flavor? You know, <laughs> we already had to re-record this once. Um, it's just not for you. It, it rhymes with whiz. Okay. <laughs> From a whale. <laughs> whale whiz flavor. Yeah, it's not for me. I've got ginger berry, and uh, that's one of my favorites. You got Copenhagen over there. Snuff. Yeah, I've got it's a not big, that pussy skull. I've got the big three finger dip in today, and then we got the uh, monster across from from Chris. Monster here. rehab, rehabs, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's got extra caffeine and co- and cocaine, Dewey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No sugar though. No sugar. Oh, that shit's got sucralose or something Shh, in it. Aspartame. <laughs> yeah, there's Shh. something that gives rats to in California cancer in that. I guarantee. Yeah, you. but it's just the fact that they're in California. I think. Probably they probably already have it from the smog. <laughs> what? Uh, how was the trip out? Because you're living in Kansas now, right? I am, brother. Yeah, it was actually uh, pretty painless. It was a good trip in yesterday. How far is it? Five. Well, to Denver, it's about five. If you if you're if you're a, an upstanding citizen and go the speed limit, it's it's about five. I can tell you in that Ford EcoBoost Turbo thing I've got, it's a rental. I'm not an upstanding citizen. In fact, we picked my mom up from the airport yesterday, and she about shit a willy coming up the hill. She was not thrilled with my driving. And uh, we got problems. It's probably in every state, but in Colorado, I'm going to call out Brian Call because you're bad about this too. If you're in the fast lane, in my opinion, oh, yeah. you need to be going fast. Yes. If you're not first, you're last in the fast lane. If you're in the fast lane doing one over than the guy in the middle lane, in my opinion, you should not be in the fast lane. That fast lane is for going fast. And yesterday, there was a lot of people doing the speed limit in the fast lane or less than. Of course, that's a biased opinion by me because if you're doing the speed limit, you're technically legal. But the speed limit anymore in California in the fast lane is over the speed limit. Like nobody's in the fast lane to go the speed limit. It's all people breaking the speed limit, I think. Now and I and isn't wrong. it still a law that it, you're supposed to get out of the left lane and get over? It's technically a passing lane, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I was passing in all lanes <laughs> yesterday. And my mom, um, she, my mom's like 61 now, 62. Yeah, 62. And uh, still to this day, it was like I was 16 driving again, and she was sticking <laughs> her arm out and grabbing shit. It was awesome. <laughs> so for those that don't know, uh, well, Chris and I have been friends for many years. How long? 10 Dude. years? 12? Long time. Yeah. And uh, Frank, you've known Chris for six, eight years, haven't you? Well, I don't since know about you, that long, but well, as long as I've worked here. Yeah, I was going to say, as long as you've been here. But you you own Row Hunting Resources, which is basically a, a resource for, well, really everything outdoors. But you really specialize in, in elk hunting is one. You have an elk hunting module. Um, one of the things that's funny, I'll say this, you don't have to. Back in the day, Chris had an app for Still different – Well, but you were – First one. Yeah, 2011, baby. This is, I want everybody to listen to this because this is the God's honest truth. Chris was the first one to have the app, and you had some opposition from others who now, as can you fucking believe it, have the app. They have oh, their yeah. own app now. Yeah. And and he got made fun of for having this app. Well, was app. it kind of like a playbook? Yeah. 
kind of like Did you a, just say what? <laughs> uh, yeah. That was one of the opposition. Um, the It was basically different scenarios that if you were put into them, you had an app on your phone and it would help out of what you could potentially do to in, in that certain scenario. So let's say if it – let's take elk hunting out of it and we'll do it to day-to-day work issues. You have a employee that's come in late twice. There's an attitude. You click on the app, and it tells you, here's three ways you can handle <laughs> Fire this. that son bitch. Or here's a way to handle this. Chris did that with elk hunting. All right, you have this. The bull's hung up. It would give you a yeah. scenario of what you could do. And from the outside perspective looking in, I didn't really pay attention to any of this because I, I just ran around and shot elk and really hoped that my calling worked. And I didn't really ever have an exact plan. I mean, I had a plan, but it wasn't like it was doctoring. And watching all of this, I'm you know, well, Frank, you've learned how I am. I analyze a lot of stuff. And, I, and one way I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for a guy who's been hunting elk for a long time, he's probably not going to pay attention to that. But for people coming from back east, out west, or people out west that are just starting to elk hunt, there's going to be times I knew from questions I was getting, they had no idea what to do. And there were other methods people were using that were kind of the same thing that, that I say same thing, there was a book out that people would read and this just simplified it. You could literally click on that scenario and it would tell you what to do. And where I got a kick out well, of it. Yeah, what I would do. It was my, yeah, it was my, yeah, this is this is kind of what I would do in that situation. Well, fast forward, there's lots of apps now, <laughs> which I thought was funny because they gave, all oh, of them, you ain't all of them gave you shit. Oh, man. Oh, it was the most ridiculous thing ever that shit, oh my gosh. And I mean, there were people that that, that thought I was the, basic devil why would we ever take technology into the field and that's just cheating and that's just you know right down to the line of it's not fair chase and it's not gonna i mean i'm like goodness it's a stinking educational (laughs) resource you know it's like it's a oh my gosh yeah and so yeah like you said fast forward now to see the same see some some of the same people you're saying some almost all (laughs) yeah um and the thing would be is if you were diligent and you took clippings out of a bunch of different articles, let's say not from Chris, but just a bunch of different people that were successful elk hunting, you could take those and and you could have made your own app, right? Or not app, but own book of what to do. Chris just simplified it. So it wasn't like it wasn't fair chase. Anybody could have did it. Chris just did it for you. I really didn't give a shit about any of that. What I got a kick out of was fast forward six, seven years all of a sudden there's these apps coming out and all the same stuff that Chris had done originally. And some of these guys, I'm sure I'm going to get blowback for saying this, but I, I mean, I'm friends with them. I just thought, you you know, it was kind of, it was very forward thinking. It was, it was before its time at that time, obviously, because you about got hung in the, hung in the courtyard and stoned to death by some people, but technology, now everybody's doing it. Not yeah. everybody, but yeah. a lot. So I, I thought that was pretty funny. Now, with what you do, because you break down, and, and we make fun of each other somewhat because you say, I call it an estrus call. <laughs> you don't. You call it. <laughs> and, but I think in the end, though, I mean, it, it boils down to the same thing, depending upon what you call it or what you think they're doing is, is how the elk is going to respond 
to that noise or whatever, um, that specific noise. One thing from the little I've watched, you know, because I'm bad about sitting for a long time. I, I pick apart what I want, which is bad. You should not do that. You should listen to the whole thing and learn all of it. <laughs> but what, what would you say the – because we get tons of questions about first-time hunters. What would you say is the number one mistake first-time elk hunters make? Oh, man. Well, He'll, he'll stop uh, talking uh, like 45 minutes. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> no uh, I, I heard you ask that. Uh, you, you were talking to someone else about that too. And, and quite honestly um, – Well, name the top three. I think not – letting your setup work um long being being well and, and i will get a, a criticism about this i i am a little bit more passive i i am a little bit more patient i'm not as an aggressive uh elk hunter like some other people are i think and i heard you actually say it which i i, I thought was absolutely awesome there's a lot of people that will run by elk trying to find elk and so I think if you get in a situation, a lot of people will get in. They think they think they're in an elky area. They set up to call. They start calling. They don't get an immediate response, or they don't have an elk just trip over them immediately, and so they pack up and go. Whereas if they would just, if they understood a little bit more about behavior, if they understood a little bit more about the vocalizations, and we probably should give people a little bit about my background so they know where I'm coming from on this. But if people knew behavior, knew vocalizations a little better, I think they could call a little bit more strategically with a little bit better purpose to where we give them a better level of confidence to sit and let your setup work. And I think people would have a lot more elk in their laps. To add to that, almost on the dot, cold calling sequences. Now, this is public land over the counter and draw tags. I'm leaving out the ranches that basically are overloaded with elk because I kind of throw those ones out the window because even a guy just squeezing a hoochie mom is going to call in something. These are something. The, the, these areas I'm talking about where cold calling, these are somewhat pressured to heavily pressured areas, 30 to 45 minutes on the nose, elk are coming in. I We very rarely ever have him come in unless you just blind shithouse luck that you just set up right on elk. Sure. But for example um, – Amy, my fiance, she gets a tutorial every day. She's never hunted and whatever. And we were right beside the house and got a good whiff of elk. And I was like, whew, those are close. And I said, so what I would do right now, and I told her, I said, when they're this close, you can call them in. And so I said, for me, I said, a lot of times, depending upon time of the day and the wind, I'll just crank off a mild bugle see if I get a response. And I, you know, I'm not going to be overly aggressive and I'm not going to be too passive, just an elk sounding off in hopes that maybe they're close enough. I'll know where they are. I said, if I don't know where they are and I know the terrain around me, depending upon, are they in a bedding area close by? Could they possibly be feeding? Whatever. That'll dictate the, the calling sequence if we push to get closer or not. But at that point, and you're I am not an expert by any means. Chris will dive in here and tell me everything I do wrong, which is good. Um, we would set up with according to the wind, meaning the caller, the cold caller will be set up behind me where the elk will hook me, where they think where think they're coming from. Obviously, that's easy because of the wind direction. We know where they're at because we're smelling them and we'll start doing a cold calling sequence. Never, ever, hardly ever do they come in quickly. Usually, it's a elk that is coming in silent 
um, you know, which is, would you agree? Usually how cold calling works, they don't sure. come in very vocal. I mean, when they're vocal, it's not cold calling anymore. You know Except, where the hell they're coming from. There you go. There you go. So they come in, they're looking, they walk away, they look. Um, Brian, I was thinking, he called five different times. That bull took 10 minutes to go 200 yards, if not more, of me watching them. Yeah. Um, and some of these bulls were big. Um, when I say big, when I what I consider big is that 280 to 300 plus, that four and a half year old plus bull, which is, for Colorado, it's pretty big bull, especially on over-the-counter Probably units. has decent sixes on each. I mean, he's got six points on each side, and, and he's probably, and most people look at it and go, I'm going to shoot that bull. Yeah, you, you, you're talking like a 42-inch plus main beam um, roughly on a Colorado bull, usually 44 to 48 on a, on a four and a half year old decent bull. And you can dive in that because you're better at scoring than I am. But a bull that you look at and say, I'm going to shoot. Yep, yeah. exactly. And watching these bulls come in, they didn't get to four and a half. Four and a half is getting up there in age for an elk. They're, that's not, they're not at the peak of their life, but- They're a mature bull at that point. They're getting smart. Yep. Um, and they'll go 10 yards and they're looking. Go ten. Well, of course, you can't see me what I'm doing. I'm looking and they're looking around. <laughs> they'll walk a little more. They'll look around. And if you had, let's say, a there's going to be one call, and this is something else I find interesting. And, and as I'm blabbing about this, I want you to chime in when I'm done. There's going to be one call that I make for Frank or you make for me. You don't have this issue because you know what you're doing. Or Brian makes for me where you can see that elk like that call. And if we were mic'd up, I would hit the button on my Pelotor and say, whatever you did, do it again. That's when you're green and you don't know what you're doing. You're not a great caller. Hit that hit that note one more time. He liked that. And then there's other ones, he'll almost walk away. Oh, that, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Don't like that. Yeah. Speaking French now, they're walking away and then they'll hit something and they'll come back. And they'll maybe as they get closer and closer which is luck when you're cold calling and especially when you don't know vocalization overly well that that they hit them they're coming right they've they that pushed them over and they're coming in that's how cold calling works and a lot of times when people are cold calling especially greenies they might have 15% of the time a call that that elk likes especially a three and a half year old elk or younger two and a half. He's just coming in because he's young and dumb and wants to see what the hell's going on over there. Yeah. And socially he, he needs, he likes the safety blanket of the group. Exactly. And, and I tell people that when you just want to shoot a elk, you don't need to do a whole lot correctly. You just need to not do anything overly stupid because they're dumb. They just want to come in and see what's happening. And they'll they'll be nervous when they come in, but they'll be dumb and nervous. Where a big bull, cold calling for big bulls, in my opinion, is is almost as much luck as it is anything because not all the time. And, and again, dive into all this here in a second. But what, what was amazing is how long it took for those bulls to come in. That bull I missed in Idaho, 45 minutes to an hour. And then yeah. I, it took so long, I sat on my butt, set my bow down, and then he was standing in front of me and I wasn't ready. It took almost an hour for him yeah. to come in. And that was a big bull. Um, so what do you, I mean, what do you think about all of what I just blabbed on about? No, it's it's right on. And and I think the the problem with you and I being friends and, and we bullshitting and let, let's take it, let's take a step back and set the stage of why I'm sitting here and where my frame of reference comes from. So, um, and part of the, it goes back to what you said about the app, but part of the reason why I got 
so slammed. My background is a wildlife biologist. Okay, so we start. My wife and I, my wife's a wildlife biologist as well. We started our companies. Um, she now we kind of split things, and so she handles a lot of the the. Uh, uh, endangered species, wildlife surveys, your development type stuff, wetland delineation, all that type of stuff. We both do it back, you know, back to back, but she handles the bulk of that. I ended up taking the bulk of the big game habitat and behavior and management, that type of stuff. So everything that I have, you know, since I was a kid, I've loved, I wanted to become a wildlife biologist, but part of that was I was always fascinated by animal behavior. And so I always incorporated behavior and behavioral ecology in all of the stuff that I did that we did in our management and our in our business started doing seminars and stuff and people started liking to understand a little bit more about behavior that's where row hunting resources I said you know what I got to be able to do a better way of sharing this so we built that website I say all that because two things one you know we laugh about it but yeah I, everything that I do I'm coming at from a standpoint of animal behavior, elk behavior. Why are they doing what they're doing? Not from hunting dogma, not from, you know, the folklore. You know, folk, folk, <laughs> yeah. I mean, folk, and we joke about that, but there's so much of that is, you know, somebody goes hunting for one September, they see something and all of a sudden that's the greatest, you know, the, the best and greatest thing that they've ever seen, but there's no context. So what we, what I've done is taken all of the elk research, all the behavioral research that I've done, and then shared it in a video format uh, on the website so people can see the elk doing it. I can Anybody can flap their gums, but I can tell you A, B, and C, but what sets us apart is I'm going to show you a video of exactly what the elk is doing and, and why they're doing it to back up what I'm saying. And to the point of what you just said, there's a section in the website that I call the gallery and that, that just allows people to see elk doing elky things. They're not being hunted. There, it's a, not a hunting situation. It's just watching elk interact. And you can literally sit and watch elk interact with other elk and watch them take their time to the point where it may be an hour or more that they finally will interact with one another. Or even in the strategies and action section, I'll let a video run for a full hour where it's me calling elk in. I'll let that thing run for the full hour for the sure, I mean, for, for the pure um, fact of doing exactly what you said. This video is going to run for an hour, but the elk is going to stand seven feet from me. Yeah, It took him an hour to get here. And I want people to see that I knew if you just let the setup work, it will work. There's so many people that will get into that 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and their mind, they're like, oh, I got to make something happen. And they take two steps and all of a sudden, crash, boom, there. I mean, the elk just, there they go. Yeah. I, it's good when Chris and I talk, I think, because I am <laughs> coming from the folklore, the half-asset, uh, the blind shit house luck, the the fitness side, or the I just know animal behavior and was lucky enough not to make mistakes. And I shoot two-and-a-half and three-and-a-half-year-old bulls more frequently than I do four-year-old bulls. But as as time has gone on, a lot of why I've been so successful so well, as you, a lot of elk I've shot are in the first day or two of the season. That's because I don't do anything stupid anymore, but I still shoot young bulls. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's very, I'm being as truthful as I, I mean, that's as truthful as you can get. If you know, if you should, as you give me shit all the time, I, I have the ability and the knowledge to shoot much larger animals than I do. 
and I don't make mistakes as much as I used to. I just can't keep it in my pants, and I sh- I like to shoot things. So having learned one, don't give up on your setup. If you stand up three or four times in a year for four years and elk run off, as you've been calling, you're probably going to wait longer. So that's happened to me a lot to where the point I'm like, you know, maybe I should just wait a little just, longer. Just give it a little bit more. And so now I have to make myself, I, I set a timer. I do not get up for, for 45 minutes. I don't move unless the wind has totally shifted and then it's a little bit different. But good wind, I don't, I don't move till for 45 minutes. I make myself stay because so many times in 15 to 20, I've stood up, we walked 10 yards and there's a bull. 80 yards away coming, running off. And it's like, all right, dummy, if you would have just waited. Yeah. And that's a collective of, of all these past screw-ups. Now, the other thing, too, is like you, a lot of things, like if you watch a guy on a mule deer stock, let's take South Cox, w- w- arguably one of the best mule deer stalkers of our time. It is artistic, right? He is... He knows when to go fast. He knows when to go slow. He he has got it dialed. You're the same way with calling elk. You, there is no guessing in when you do it. There's a lot of guessing when I call elk. But, but there when doesn't you, need to be. But they, yeah, and I, like I said, I'm being <laughs> extremely honest for listeners. I can shoot fairly good. I can stalk fairly good. I don't make noises where they're going to run off. But it would make my life easier to kill them if I had more of a plan and, and knew what to do. And I'm being honest with that. And we kill tons of elk. Um, we kill elk every year. We would kill them easier if I didn't, if I, if I paid more attention to the, to the calling. Well, like you, you were talking about last night, you shot that one at 12, 14 yards. Deer? No, the elk downhill. Oh yeah. Frank just said, fuck, I don't know how to call. I just snuck over there and shot him, right? He goes, I didn't know. <laughs> and that's Frank. Frank's house is cool. I don't know. <laughs> Shoot it. But <laughs> you think about it, every year different hunters are going to be faced with scenarios. They have no idea what to do. One of the most common scenarios that I hear about is, man, they were calling back. I couldn't get closer. Well, they're not dumb. If they're staying 200 yards from you and sounding off like crazy, what I call that is false hope. Because you are never going to kill that bull. Um, in 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 my opinion, you've already told them where you are. You've already let them know what you sound like, and they're staying that safe two hundred yard to four hundred yard distance, just giving you some hope. It's almost like a chick nibbling your ear, but she's never <laughs> going to give it up. Would you agree with when that? When does that ever happen? I I think uh, the uh, I will only because. Um, I think people don't realize that a lot of times the way you start calling to animals will set, will predetermine, will will predetermine their expectation of what's going on in the scenario. But people that need to remember, elk do not vocalize for no reason. I mean, if you look, if you have horses, if you have cattle, I give this example all the time. If you have horses, if you have cattle. You go outside and you look in the pasture. They're not out there just whinnying their heads off. They're not bellowing their heads off. They're not just out there just carrying on vocally. They're just out there doing their thing. Why? Because when they're relaxed, when they're in their social structure in a relaxed state, 90 or 80 
to 90 plus percent of their vocal, excuse me, their communication is all visual. It's not until something changes, go up and grab one horse out of that pasture or go take the calves out of that pasture. Now everybody's screaming their heads off. Why? Because visually they can't keep track of one another. So when you vocalize, when you call, you are saying very specific things. Just like us, when someone says something to us, automatically in our brain, we get an image. We, we have an idea of what that person wants. Same thing with elk. So there's a lot of people that if they don't understand behavior, if you don't understand fundamentals of elk communication, you can start off like with a bugle or you can start off with cow calling in a certain way that automatically sets those elk off into a situation. They're like, oh, well, they're not either, either they don't want me to come in or no, they're off doing their own thing to where when that bull bugles back at you, he's saying, hey, I want you to join my group rather than me come and join your group. You, by, by starting off your calling, depending on how you call, you can literally set it up to where you're setting yourself up for failure. Or I've heard you even talk in, in a previous podcast a while back about, you know, setting up and calling and, and calling to the elk and always you know, setting up to where you can cover the downwind side. I I chuckled a little bit about that only because, yes, it's good to always cover the downwind side, but if you set up correctly and you call correctly, you can almost always pull them in straight in on you and not have to worry about them swinging around downwind. But I don't have you there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got the website, brother. You got me there all the time. But this is, I mean, this is true, which is why I'm glad you're, you're on here. And I, again... I'm solid enough in my elk hunting state to just, hey, I kill stuff, right? I, I, but a lot of what I do or whatever, some of it is luck, right? Some of it is because of fitness. Some of it we've hiked farther than anyone else will go. And, and some of it was my shooting ability. Okay, right? and that's what I wanted to go to because you're changing now. If you're shooting the struggle stick more, now it's not a, I'm going to shoot him at 87 yards when he hangs up. Because that's the other thing, hanging elk hanging up. There's a reason why they do that. And I can help people understand how to get that over that hump. But, you know, when it was 87 yards and you're shooting your compound, who gives a crap? Is he broadside and cleared? That thing's done. Now, now. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be broadside. Exa- well, there, hey, I was, I was being generous. No, but now you're sitting there talking about, okay, point on at 38 to 40 yards. That's dude, about the I, max, yep. I, dude, I will, f- we will put them seven freaking steps and have them you know, drooling on you. I mean, that's, that's the fun part. Now you have a reason to wait, which I'm excited to see what Speaking you do. Of that, do you, do you do a lot of calling by yourself or usually everything solo? So do you, Everything's we talked solo. to Phelps yesterday and he said that a lot of the time he's calling solo and he's, he's taking a lot of frontal shots. Do you yeah. wait for the, for them to turn broadside or are you doing the frontal shot thing? No. And that's a great point. Um, I think a lot of times if you are calling and you're getting them in close, I, you know, my little taglines call them to your toes. I, I like them in my lap and that will oftentimes put predispose them into a frontal shot. However, if you choose your setups correctly, you can allow, and what I talk, I talk about the doorway principle. You can allow, if you set up correctly, you can allow those bulls to walk in. Yes, they may pause at a frontal, but if you give them just a few more minutes, they will continue and they will naturally pause and you can get a much better either broadside shot or at least a, a, a good, almost a, a shallow quartering shot where you can get in that triangle pretty good. But I will say I've, I've killed a number of bulls frontal I think I'd probably kill 50% plus on frontal quartering to 
between that where you split that front shoulder and, and I think – and you and I have had many discussions on this and I think that's a rabbit hole. I mean I'll, I'll go down whatever rabbit hole you want to go. But I think you've had some good discussions on that already and I, I, I agree with a lot of them. It's a deadly, deadly position but you better know where to hit and you better hit there. <laughs> <laughs> Phil hit one, Mendoza. I don't think he'll take another frontal. He Now I will say – where we come into front of center and heavier arrow weight. Was it a mechanical or he had it mechanical. probably had a lot to do with the setup too, right? Um, yeah, his setup. I, you How know, far I'm not was gonna, it? I'm not 35, 30. Yeah, it's um, too far, in my opinion. Now, I'm not <laughs> – I don't want to dive too far. The one frontal I took with Colton was 78. <laughs> what do you think about that, Chris? <laughs> and would, it, would it go down his nose? It. Uh, well, what happened is when, when Dinglehopper finally stopped shooting – there was some elk left in the field and they were a little scared because they'd had some projectiles flung at them. And one came out and he bugled and he, it was a long bugle and it, it was, it was just like a three-year-old five by five or was it a six by six? It's still on the mountain. We left it. it was, yeah, I took the meat off. Um, I thought in my mind, I thought he bugles again. I'm, I'm going to shoot him on the bugle. There, my thinking on this, and I do not keep in mind I'm shooting a struggle stick now and shots are around 20 yards, and I was wrong in doing this, but just this is just an example. I didn't just do a poke and a hope. There was thought process behind it. I'd waited for, for Colton to stop shooting and everything else, and I just thought, well, he goes to full bugle. He's not going to hear my bow go off. True. He's going to have his head up, which True. he did. And he's going to stand there for a couple seconds. <laughs> yeah, so when he started that... I dropped one right into the goodies. I mean, it was a 12. Like, if there's a 12 ring on a frontal <laughs> shot, I hit it and just pummeled him. Now, I was shooting a 580-some grain arrow at 80-some pounds, you yeah, know. it's not it, stopping. Oh, it, it went to the knock. I mean, it, and that was with a, a kill zone, a mechanical. It went all the way to the knock, and that elk ran 15 yards and died. Let's say that wasn't that distance. Having the wherewithal... And the common sense and, and ice in the veins enough to know when that elk comes in. If that elk, in my opinion, locks up at 20 and he knows you're there and he's looking at you, the chances of you clipping that shoulder are pretty good when he goes to whirl. Like, there's a chance. There's a good chance he'll do it. But if the bull's just coming in or he's looking around and he doesn't know you're there, you're going to be able to sneak it into that pocket at 20 and in. It doesn't take for them for much for them to move, and you hit that the shoulder or the knuckle on that frontal if if they're really alert. So you got to know when to take the shot, um, a, a frontal shot. You also may not want to take that shot with certain setups. I mean, meaning one, if you're not, if you can't hit a paper plate at twenty yards consistently, you really shouldn't be taking that shot anyway. But oh no, not yeah. If we're talking no, if you can't hit a softball. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I don't know, eight inches wide and a foot tall or something. It may be over that. It's it's a pretty decent sized hole straight on, but as there's some angles and the elk's moving and yeah. the goodies are kind of at a different angle, shit goes downhill. But um, getting back to, to calling, because we don't want to dive down the frontal shot too too much. Um, the, the calling aspect of it, though, with... Um, I'll just well, I'll go back to like the last four or five elk we've killed um, in the last couple of years. Every one of those scenarios had calling uh, involved. Um, you know, w whether it be the first day of season, we were just 
trying to get the group of bulls to come over and look. But even list B cow tags, this is something I wanted to talk about because we can shoot a bull and a cow here in Colorado. We had the big herd walk by. We have elk all over around the house. Um, and you had the, the herd talk, right? And so Kaylee or Amy was out there. And uh, when, you know, the, the calf strays from the group, meh, meh. It doesn't take long for the cow. There's a specific sound that cow makes that says, get your ass back yep. here. And and I'm a master at shooting list B cow tag. You're filling those. So <laughs> I'm good at calling cows. So I was showing her. I said, that's how I kill. That's how I pull the cows out of the herd. She's like, what do you mean? I said, like, I sound like a stray calf. I'm like a, a calf that's gotten go. out. And I said, and then when that mom makes that noise, I fire back basically a insubordinate child that says, here. I'm here. I'm here. But I don't come closer, and they'll usually come over and I shoot them. Now, I mean, chime in with your two cents. No one's really going to be hunting cows. But what that has to do with herd dynamics, and all I'm trying to do is just get a cow to pull over because I want to fill the that, freezer. Would that differ from like a distre- like a calf distress call, or is it just, just I like don't a— call, I just basically just think. make a, hey, hey, just I'm like, here. You're, you're I'm ta- here. You, from, a, from a fundamental standpoint, you're talking about a lost mew, what people call a lost mew. That's a legitimate vocalization, and you'll hear people say a lost calf call. The only difference between a lost mew and a lost calf call is the, is the, the pitch. The pitch, pitch. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that, and you no, your your money. If you if anybody watches my video from last year, my elk hunt from last year, that is literally what I talked about. Is I'm going to sound like a calf moving across the landscape off on my own because I want to get I want to get that response now. And you're absolutely. I mean, I literally tell people to do exactly what you just said especially if you're talking about calling cows. And I just had this question come in on the forums and in an email the other day about calling cows is that is one of the best ways to do it. Cows will always have that maternal instinct. It doesn't matter if it's their calf or someone else's calf. They are hardwired to want to take care of the young of the group. And so if you can sound like a calf that is separated from the group and you stick stick with it, if you know you have a good setup, you are in a good spot to where – and we can talk about setups here in a minute. But if you are in a good setup and you are in, I would say, inside 100 yards, is if you can just – keep with it, a lot of times you will sucker some cow out of that group. And if you've got a cow tag, great, smoker. But if you have a bull tag, yes, if you've got a bull tag, it, the, the, you know, if you're talking about a situation later in September where a bull has a harem, he's not going to let those cows wander away for very long. And so one of the best ways, if you want a cow call a herd bull, sucker the cows out of the group, he will come out to pick them up at some point and, and hopefully offer you a shot. And I'll keep throwing scenarios out of things I've done wrong and right, and then you <laughs> can chime in. Um, <laughs> Or say why? Uh, yeah, and and again, um, we talked with Amy, right? And and I use that exact analogy. I said, think of Kaylee calling me for help. I'll kill a room full of people to get to that child to to protect her. The mom's no different. She's coming to help that cow. She's or that calf. She's coming. So that's what you're you're striking that maternal instinct to to come get that calf that's in distress or strayed from the herd or whatever. Now. Again, I told her the same thing. I have done what you're talking about many times where I've pulled a calf, now a cow, maybe two, because one will kind of tail it, but then I'll bugle. And that will generally, when that cow gets into, and it's got, I mean, 
again, this is my opinion because I want to hear yours. When that cow closes into 50, 40 yards, I'll bugle and it will be a dominant bugle and that bull will. Now, keep in mind, this is my shooting ability with the compound has a lot to do with this. That bull will come hook that cow because he's worried I'm going to take that cow or he will come over to kick my ass. Now, I've never waited long enough to see what happens after that because I just shoot it. But it's worked for me when that when that cow comes over and it gets to a certain distance, I will crank off on a very dominant bugle or as dominant a bugle as I can make to get that bull to come over So, because he's he knows already there's a calf by me. He knows the cow is coming to strike a now a an instinct in him to come over and kick the shit out of me and then I'll get a shot. What do you think about that? I think it absolutely works. I will take one step back initially and I will allow I will continue to work the cow calls first and see if I can sucker him out. A lot of times cuz here's a you, you never know what bull you're going to encounter. There's some of their lovers and there's some of their fighters. I've literally watched some younger bull, especially younger bulls, just they're like I'm going to sacrifice that cow. I don't know who the hell's over there. I'm just taking the three that I got. I'm out of here. He can have her. And so they just take the cows that they're with and go. I've seen other bulls, like you said, they'll come and hook, but they'll hook at like 80 and they'll just boom, 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 run, 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 boom, boom, and in and out and go. Whereas if, in my opinion, if that cow, if the calf is coming out, the cow is coming out and you are getting movement your way with those cow calls, as long as they are staying upwind, I let that scenario play out because oftentimes the bull will naturally want to come pick her up anyway, but now he's not on point. He's not alert. He's not feeling that there's any rush. There's no pressure. He's just going to stroll. And a lot of times you can, I've got a video in there, strategies in action in the website called Twizzler. This bull's probably a 10 year old bull. I pull him to 15 yards by doing exactly what we're talking about. But I just let the scenario. It probably was a forty-five you know what minute the scenario. The problem is, is primos. No, I'm just kidding. The exactly. videos. Um, <laughs> but that where folklore comes in. Yes, I got that from the history of elk hunting and bugle, bugle to get bugle, the dominant yeah. response or the dominant back. And this is fun. it would have been good for you to be with Brian and I last year because there were so many calling scenarios. I tried to explain to Brian in the unit we were hunting. The dominant bugle does not work overly well. The bull-to-cow ratio is skewed. There's as many bulls as cows. Yes. And when you bugle dominantly, that elk's like, I'll just take my cows yes. and go. Even when you're in that that range where that elk should come in, that bull should come yeah. in, a lot of times they're like, you know, I think I'll live to fight another day. Well, and they and, grab their cows and leave. And let's and, talk about that. <laughs> and I talked I, last year at the ISC show, I gave the seminar and and that was a, a, a part of the, the focus on that because the other thing too is a lot of people don't understand, you know, herd dynamics, the, the sex ratio and the age class of the animals in that herd. And it's, it, Every unit is different. Even heck, just different valleys and different portions of units will have different dynamics in it. That will make a huge difference on how elk are going to react to your calling. And so if you look across, and you guys were in a really great unit, but even if you look at some of the over-the-counter units that just get pounded to piss, the habitat has changed. Now we've got a lot of beetle kill. We've got a lot of aspens coming in. Some of theirs, we got a lot of thicker cover. We've in some years, this may be not one of them, but in some years we've got so much food, we've got so much water that the elk can just scatter across the landscape. If you look at the age class that we're dealing with, all of a sudden now 
there's a lot of places where all the bulls are about the same age class, roughly. You're not dealing with one, you know, six or seven year old bull that has 30 cows and then a bunch of satellites. You're dealing with one four year old bull here, he's got three cows. One four year old bull there has, he's got five cows. One bull here, two cows. One bull. And so you see this scat, this, this, um, they just kind of spread themselves across the landscape and everybody has their own tight little group. They're happy. This is the first time that they've had cows. They're happy with three. They don't care because that guy over there, he's got his four, he's got his five. So now there's not as much competition. It's all about, can I just protect what I've got? In this specific scenario and, and, Brian and I had hunted quite a bit together and, and Brian can call really well and he can crank out a, a bugle. I mean, he, so he can sound really well on a call. Oh yeah. Okay. And he can blow a bugle and, and scare elk off and uh, like smaller elk. I mean, he yeah. can crank yeah. on it. So, but we had this conversation and I was telling him, I said, this, this unit's different, dude. Like that whole dominant bugle shit, it doesn't work all the time here. And you know, so fast forward, I'm calling for Brian, and I can't call um, overly dominant. I've got a really high, the roof of my mouth is super high, and that I'll lose air when I go to bugle. So there's only a certain pitch I can hit and only, you know, whatever. So we get into a herd, and this bull had 30 cows, and every satellite around had come in. And, I mean, they're... And it's, there's like between 50 and 80 yards, and I've got a spot where I can run around, rake trees, make some noise, sound sound more like a herd. So that's what I did. I just tried to sound basically where these elk would just keep coming over to hang out. I didn't have a dominant bugle. I bugled to where I just wanted that bull to not be threatened by me or my bugle. And they worked from probably 350. And you want to talk, talk about if it was raining pussy getting hit in the head with a dick this bull was about to die and another hunter came in and he did he played the textbook i thought it was another bull and i'm like immediately like screw that 350 60 bull in front of us that thing's got to be bigger well it's coming and it's like a hundred yards um and all these elk are around brian probably has seven or eight other bulls around like every elk is in town and then I hear this just Velociraptor T-Rex crazy bugle right above us. And I'm like, Jesus, we pulled in another bull. And I'm thinking, well, I was thinking a lot of things. But the first thing I was thinking, <laughs> this is one of those bulls that waits until he sniffed that yep. cow. That cow is in estrus. She's ready to breed. He knows what's going on. He's going to come down, hump that cow, kick that bull's ass. He's going to go up on the hill and hide safe. What it actually was, was a special forces soldier that could bugle really well (laughs) and scared the shit out of that bull. He bugled. And I mean, I'm watching all of this happen. He was in the right distance. He was in everything, what any folklore playbook, what anything would ever tell you, he did it correctly. And that freaking bull grabbed every cow it had and left our lives forever. And I came down and of course I told Brian, I was like, I told you, they do not like that shit at all. And that what that bull had was enough cows he didn't need to play exactly he didn't, he didn't need to and he he took them now you know fast forward or whatever uh, other scenarios we ran into but one, you know one specifically that i'm thinking of is we're we're trailing this herd trying to get it to, to stop trying to pull one out and it, it, it just ain't happening and and so one of the things we started doing which is 
not a trophy hunting. It's not a. Tra- it's nothing you're going to do to kill a big bull. We start calling it satellites. Sure, there's plenty of them, right? Why not? Well, one of the things you know, as you do this, what happened? We did. We got a satellite to come. Brian got a shot, but he clipped it low. Um, we, as this is going on, we just listened to the bulls. They they went into the to the timber, the herd bull. We saw it from the bottom up high when we started tailing them and he got into the timber and they bugle all day long a lot of times you know how that works whatever um the bull brian killed bugled his way straight into us and i don't know if that was happenstance if that bull heard us calling and just finally got out of his bed and came over but literally that bull i mean we're we we finally stopped tracking the other bull we knew it was fine and this bull bugles and i'm like and that's pretty close, huh? And in an elk woods, you never know like what is going to happen. You never expect at 11 o'clock on a 70 degree day for a bull to bugle his way from 400 yards out into your lap. He's just bugling. He's cranked up and he's a bull. I don't know if you saw that bull he killed. It's just a bull, right? It's a four-year-old bull. Probably scored 270. I Good don't know enough. what it scored. I'll shoot that every year. Well, and that's when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> dead bull. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Brian, he didn't argue either. But what was crazy is that's one of those satellite bulls that I think that when there's a bull with 30 cows, he's looking for one or two. Oh, yeah. He's just trying to find a couple just to get in where he fits in. And so that bull just bugled, bugled, bugled right into our lap. Literally, like he committed suicide. You want to know why? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. So, for for me, I just thought he's screaming, trying to find a cow. He's just wandering around, saying, "I'm here, I'm here." Well, he already he already found the cow. Was that I mean you? Yeah. Okay. So I don't. And so I mean, if you, <laughs> well, you think about it from their standpoint. Okay, so you're sitting there telling me you've got a herd moving, right? Yeah. You're trailing them. Well, let me real quick. There was a break in time from when Brian sure. shot. What I thought if he was looking for us is he had a safety time period to come in, meaning. Everything had kind of calmed down. He wasn't sure where we still were, but he knew about where we were. He kind of let things smooth out and then worked his way in in case we were still there. Yeah. Is no, that- no, absolutely. It, a lot of times if, you know, one of the things that um, if you watch, a lot of people will always focus on, you know, I want to be at there, you know, 30 minutes before daylight or whatever. I want to get him. Okay. Well, that's fine. There's, there's going to be a lot of of activity and there's going to be a lot of talking going on then, but sometimes that time period can be one of the worst times to try and actually capitalize on getting an animal come in because if they're ready to go to bed and they have already set their mind that they're going up the mountain, you end up in a situation which you guys are talking about is you're following and you're trying to get somebody to come back, which is very, very difficult. However, when those animals get in close to their bedding area and the cows start to settle, now those bulls are like, all right, well, these guys aren't going anywhere. But I heard these gals down the hill, well, they're not here yet. Well, at this point, again, we, we, I, I go through all this. You talk about why elk communicate, you know, see you first, hear you second, smell you third. In this situation, it's in that bull's best interest to cut the distance and make visual contact with these new elk before they get up with the rest of the herd. So in his, in his mind, the herd is over here and they're settled. We're all good. But holy crap, these guys. 
these guys are still off on their own. They're, they're, they're separate. I, me being the younger bull, the herd bulls over here, if I make my way to them, they will see me first and I'll have a chance at them before these guys do. It's in my best interest to cut that distance, to make it up, to get into that situation and make you know, visual contact. That's why sometimes they, exactly they will just flat, I'm coming, but it ends up being that 9, 10, 11 o'clock time frame. Sometimes those animals, they might be vocal at daylight or excuse me, daybreak. They kind of peter out as far as their vocalizations go. But from, you know, uh, you know, 30 minutes after sunup until maybe 9 a.m., they're up on their feet. They're still moving, but they're silent. They're getting close to their bedding area. But it's once they settle in and, and decide to, this is where we want to be, all of a sudden you'll see where those bulls get a little bit freer and moving again if people have the patience to stay in that area. I was just I was just going to say, now with a recurve, rewinding or fast forwarding, yeah. if that same thing, I wouldn't make a call if that bull was bugling like he was at that point. I would just sneak in 10 yards at a time as he's coming. And once he got close, because I'm limited in, in distance, I mean, honestly, he was on such a beeline, I, I probably wouldn't have moved much. I would have just yeah, waited. Yeah, just let him come. But while we were doing that, that other bull, after we shot it, that big bull came in when Frank was coming in to help us, the herd bull came back and he was big. And he came back in just screaming. He didn't have his cows. And, you know, I'm, I'm analyzing as this happens. I'm like, is he coming to kick the shit out of this bull or see if this bull got away with one of his cows? Because he just literally screamed his way in, came to about where we were, did a kind of a reconnoiter and went back to his cows, just screaming. And I'm like, holy, if I had a tag, right? Like we would, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he walked right in and then you ran into elk on the way in yeah. as well. I, that was in the afternoon by yeah. the time I got there, but there were elk just cruising down in the, in the uh, creek bottom there. Yeah. And I think patience is the one thing like that I've, especially with the recurve is, uh, you know, as you're hearing elk bugle, one of the worst things, in my opinion, you can do is bugle back for the sake of bugling to feel good that they're bugling back Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. You, you should, and I'm only saying this because I used to do it all the time, mm-hmm. is uh, really- we all did when we started. Close the distance, right? When the, when the elk's, oh, hey, wind's good. I don't need to run to him. He's not going anywhere. He's just screwing around. Go 100 yards, go 50, glass a little bit, uh, you know, go a little bit closer. And and then once you get into where you're pretty, you know, relatively close, kind of assess the situation of what you should do next. What kills a lot of people is, you know, if you're just, um, happens turkey hunting too, you're, you're mildly calling, you know, just cold calling, and you get a response. Since you're so excited, you finally got a response. You just went from... Hey, how you doing? To sleep with me, and <laughs> they run off, <laughs> and and that's again. I or, I, I want to fight you. Yeah, and I tell explain it to Amy last night. I say, well, if you go into a bar, if Frank and I go into the bar, and Frank's, hey, what's going on? Ah, cool, you know. And then I walk into the bar, and I'm like, screw me. Sure not. No one is going to talk to me at all. Right? There's guys. <laughs> And then you talk about the doorway. I have shut the door to the doorway the moment <laughs> I went from hello to let's go home and, you know, and get wild. And I yell it. So there's apps for that. 
Yeah, there is apps for that. Uh, <laughs> you, you might get a freaky one, but you, you've got to you've got to have some foreplay in there, or they're going to get freaked out with the whole crazy ex girlfriend thing. And the same thing with bulls. It's just those calls, what to make and when to make them. You can explain to people when or what to do uh, at those specific times. And I mean, how many times have you seen it, heard it? People tell you they've really got an elk that you could have dead on the ground in two minutes. And they spend four hours, oh. an hour, screwing around with it. Well, and that's and that's exactly it. I mean, it, it, again, let me take a step back and give people context. All right, I'm coming at it, everything. People are gonna the people that that come to to my website and and subscribe and and learn the stuff. If you are the type of person that wants to know why, if if you're always the type of person that that is out there. And you just always asking yourself why, you know, why did he do that? Or, or why did he say that? Or, or why did she do that? Or why? Did, if you have that nagging under, you just, I want to know why you want to have a deeper understanding. That's, that is what I go into. I don't, people don't go to my site to get the same old tired information you can get from a 1973 field and stream magazine. I mean, it, there's, there's all sorts of other resources out there. Mine comes at it from a biological behavioral standpoint of of why and i see this all the time um we it, again i am not ragging on bugling i carry a bugle with me every day of the season whether it's even into late you know november i will have a bugle with me it is a viable tool it is a tool but a bugle oftentimes is used like a hammer and unfortunately, these days, I think a lot of people out there are teaching people how to use a hammer. So it, there's the old adage, to the, to the man who only has a hammer, the whole world starts to look like a nail. And so every scenario they go into, they think, okay, I've got to grab the bugle. I've got to use the bugle. I've got to, and I've seen more people shut down a, 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 a successful call-in scenario, the elk are already moving your way. They're already, you know, that you have a chance of killing this animal and then they pull out the bugle. You never know the animal you're going to deal with, whether he's a lover or a fighter. And there's so many times when as soon as you make that, you use a bugle, he was already coming in and all of a sudden you hit the bugle. And now for the next three hours, it's he bugles, you bugle, he bugles, you bugle, you. And it's just this back, forth, 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 back, forth. For the next, it's just, okay, what, well, you put in his mind that there's another possible individual out there that might, and a lot of people, you'll hear people talk all the time, well, it went in doubt, just do what the bull does or imitate the bull and, and how he bugles, bugles at you. Well, again, it's behavioral. You're putting something in their mind. They are perceiving everything. Is, there's always a dominance interaction. Every animal is going to evaluate another animal based on a dominance position. There's going to be a number one. There's going to be a number two. There's always a pecking order. And if they cannot see one another visually and evaluate, they're going to try to do that from a vocal standpoint. So as soon as we bugle, they are assessing us based on what they hear. And if you end up in a, it's not a bad recommendation, but if you're going to bugle and you imitate those animals, I talk about this in the, the bull vocalization series. If it's like you going to a bar, who do you want to engage with? Someone who's at least as good as you, at least as aggressive, at least as confident, or would you rather deal with someone who may be a little bit less confident? So, so again, there's so many different scenarios to talk about here where 
people will pull the bugle out and they'll just shut things down, unfortunately, accidentally, because they didn't understand what they were doing, what they were saying, and why. Adding to this and um, bring up, I wouldn't say our competitors, but other callers in the in the uh, industry, Corey Jacobson is a good example. He I bugles. Love Corey. I, yeah, I, I have no issues with Corey. I like him. He Frank and I shot with Corey once, actually. <laughs> I told I, what do we say? Like it's a damn good thing you can call good. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've never shot with Corey. I don't, I don't know. No, I like Corey. He's super cool. But what I try to explain to people, and I've never hunted with Corey. What I've assessed is Corey bugles a lot, and he's looking for that one bull. Perfect. Yes. That will cater to his calling, or or will come into that bugle which is great for him. It works awesome. He does fine. What I try to explain to people that message me and explain is you are not Corey Jacobson. Well, so you are not there there is a note this, Corey can Sorry to interrupt there, but this so is it more I guess it's probably from what Chris is saying it's more important to I guess you can be somewhat mediocre in your calling, but have, know the right circumstance Bingo. or the situation Bingo. as opposed to having so that note and just being overly aggressive. Absolutely. I talk about that all the time. It's not the – okay, Let and and I I love Corey to death, so I well, let's use him as an example because I think he's been very consistent and I, I love his messaging because um, – Frank, hold that thought because I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into it. Um, on YouTube, we on our YouTube channel, I have a video in there. You know, mastering your elk calling. Does it really matter? And I t- in there in that video, does it really matter if you know what you say? There are some people, and I in there. I mean, they're flat out. Some people say it does not matter if you know what you're saying. You just need to sound good. All right. Now I disagree with that wholeheartedly because we've all been in situations where we've heard elk that just sound horrible, but yet they're out there functioning. And they're communicating. So in my opinion, it absolutely does matter what you're saying and why you're saying it. And in that in that video, I give an example. If you're going into a valley, there are 10 bulls in that valley. Now, Corey is flat out. And, and I, my philosophy, my entire core philosophy is when I walk into that valley and there's 10 bulls in that valley, I want to have the tool set and the knowledge to be able to work all 10 of those bulls, however those bulls need to work. This one's a lover. I know how to handle him. This one's aggressive. I know how to handle him. This one's mediocre. I know how to handle him. But I'm going in that valley and I can go from bull to bull to bull to bull to bull and I can work every one of them, call each one in or or close. And I can be picky and pick and choose. Now, what Corey talks Frank about. Frank and I are going into that valley and just kill whatever <laughs> woman can. <laughs> Please, sleep. I just take any woman. I don't care what you look like. Frank, you take the blonde one. I'll take whatever I can get. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that one looks like a dude. No, but, um, but no, so I, I've given the example that I, when I go in that valley, I want to be able to work all 10 bulls. Corey is, is flat out said when he goes in that valley, he wants to find the one bull that wants to play his game that he he loves that the bugling the, cha- the the very aggressive he wants to find that aggressive bull that's awesome that there's nothing wrong with that the problem is is when people see and hear that but they think they can use that tool set and that strategy for all the other 10 bulls and and no i i think like you said frank if you understand the structure of how a vocalization is built. 
whether they hold and emphasize the high note versus the low note on a cow call. If they stretch this part out versus this part, if they use, uh, if you have that that growl or raspiness in the bugle in the begin, you know, in the bugle or not, the structure of how the vocalization is delivered is much more important than the quality of that vocalization because every animal's unique and different. I talk about a bell-shaped curve. If you look at just, let's just use cow calls for a minute. We all know what the quintessential cow call sounds like, you know, okay. But at some point we might be in the woods and all of a sudden here's this real deep, low tone, real raspy cow. Okay. Well, no, not all cows sound like her. But yet that's what she's out kind of at that the tail end of that bell-shaped curve. She's still out there. She's still vocalizing. She still communicates. She functions on the landscape, but she sounds a little different. Same thing with the, the, the cows that might have a real high, high pitch, real squeaky, almost bird-like sound to them. Okay, they might be the fringe edge, but it's not their vocal quality of their, their vocalizations. It's how they structured it. So when I talk about the the cow vocalization series, we go. Th- I go through the building blocks. There is a structural difference between a lost mew, what people call a lost mew, and what I call an assembly mew. If if the lost mew is saying, you know, again, there's people that have a misconception of what that vocalization means. It's funny when you do it and you don't know what you did because <laughs> yeah, being serious because then you're like, what's going on with the herd? There, <laughs> yes, yes. Aaron, <laughs> Something you, just happened. I don't know what I did. Yes. Yeah. And when you throw testosterone, when you t- if you're after a bull and you throw testosterone in it and you throw the rut dynamic in it, you throw a, because people ask me all the time, they'll throw a cow call out and one day they get run over by elk. The next day they go out there and they can't buy an elk. And they're in the same, they're like, what happened? Okay. If you don't understand why, and it, this is my philosophy. If you don't understand why you are less likely to be able to ab- adapt and change your calling strategies, your setups or whatever accordingly. And so you just end up going into the field with a hammer and you're trying to find something that fits and you're trying to find a group that's going to play your game rather than dovetailing into theirs. If you do go into the field with a hammer and you work hard enough, you'll be successful. I I was a hammer. I'm still a hammer, but I'm, I'm getting more where I'm a hammer and maybe a crescent wrench now, maybe a Phillips screwdriver. I'm, I'm, but I'm still... I still, physical ability and animal behavior as what I'm focusing on a little bit more than than calling, but getting better at calling. And you can be successful about that. And I've had people say about like what you talk about, you don't need to know all that. I've been successful forever. It's like, well, let me tell you what, I kill elk every year. And I'm, I guess, in the position where I can say a lot of that was luck. I could have done it a lot easier. I have a lot to learn. But yeah, if you can be successful as a hammer. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but you're not going to be as, in, again, this is my opinion, nearly as successful as you could be. And you're going to have to work a lot harder Bingo. when you're a hammer. And, we and, ta- if, and if I can, it, there's also a level, and this is for me, and I get this feedback a lot from the folks that that give me feedback. Um there's such much a, a much more enriching experience when you know what's going on and why, because you can sit back sometimes and, and just rather than a 
so many times, and this is why I have the gallery section, so you can sit and watch elk do what elk are doing without any hunting influence whatsoever. Because so many times, an elk bugles when we're hunting. Instant, it's almost it's not a panic, but we are we are we're on we're on fast mode. We we feel we need to make something happen, and we we got to rush, 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 because. We've waited all year. We want to kill an elk and there's an opportunity and, and I want this to happen now. Okay, that's absolutely the case. But if you understand what's going on, sometimes you can listen to something and go, oh yeah, I know. I know now I, they're not going anywhere. They're relaxed. He's just doing X, Y, Z. The cows are just doing, I've got, I've got all the time in the world. And that's the other thing in that video that I talk about is, you know, the, the YouTube one is... I, my philosophy and, and how I attack things, if, if I come in with a full tool set and, and knowledge, if I find a, if I find a bull that I, you know, a, a true, this is, this is an older age class, maybe a, here we go. You've got different hunters. If, if you're a first timer and you just want to get an elk on the ground versus you've killed a bunch of elk, but man, I want to kind of go and bump up on the age class. It doesn't matter. You find an animal that you want. You come into the situation and you call to it or that group. If you do it properly, you can slip into that situation. You can vocalize with him. You can interact with him. If you pick the wrong, if you just picked the wrong strategy in calling and it does not work, you can back out and those animals do not even perceive that anything out of the ordinary happened. They go on with their normal behavior, you can come in in the morning, work them. Oh, didn't work. Fine. I'll back out. This afternoon, they're going to be right there. You did not bump them. So you come in that next afternoon or this that afternoon, you work them maybe a little bit different way. Okay, that didn't work. Fine. You back out. Then where are they going to be next morning? Right back in this. You have multiple chances at working the same group over time versus if you automatically go into a more aggressive mode. A lot of times you you go all in, you push all in, I make a play, it didn't work, but I bumped them a little bit. Or I, I called in such a way where it set them off to where they're like, mm, I don't know if that was quite right. So we're going to go over the ridge. We're going we're gonna to go down that. You're moving them. So down tomorrow, now you got to find them again. And now, you, now it's a whole new situation where I think, like you said, if you if you go into it a little bit wiser, you can work things much more effic- effectively and efficiently, and you can enjoy it better. Well, I think let's let's hit this for like five more minutes and take a break, and we'll go kind of to part two, talking about the hammer analogy because it's you can't be <laughs> a hammer with a recurve. You can be, but it's going to be. Difficult. It's, it is. You're going to wade and through a lot of animals. You're going to be pounding in nails like a roofer for a long time, and before you find, for, or before yeah. you finally finish the roof, and uh, you're going to be bending and, a lot of nails. And, yeah, and uh, in in sixteen, um, you know, and I've killed an elk or two just about every year, and, and sometimes more than that. So I mean, I've killed a bunch of elk, um, and a few big ones, a lot of average ones, a lot of mediocre ones. But the point being is I've, I've been successful, but um, a decent amount of that was um, of, of uh, scouting and knowing uh, being an elk, obviously, and then two, shooting. So as, as we hike in, Brian and I, in 16, you know, a couple elk jumped up and ran off. And, and, and Brian is not a good shot, and he was really not a good shot in the beginning of 16, like – piss poor at best. And so he's looking at me like, 
why don't you stop walking through the woods like a damn gorilla? And I'm like, what, dude? It works. It'll just run out there and stop. I'll shoot it. Seriously, he looked at me and he was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. It's like, I don't have to be that quiet. They'll just, as long as they don't see me or smell me, they'll run off to stop and look and see what's going on. And and I shoot them. I'm like, dude, it's not arguable. I do it every year. I do it all the time. And well, that obviously didn't work with the recurve. And, and I mean, I don't hunt that way. I was just saying, traveling from A to B, I wasn't as quiet as, as, as Brian would have liked me to be. And I just didn't give a shit because if I did jump an elk, I'd just shoot it. Um, so that's a hammer. I mean, that, that nothing to yeah. do with calling. That's a hammer mentality. So well, as we started you know, through the season, you know, I'm learning more and more with the, you know, the recurve. Like I had some frontal shots at 30 that I didn't take. I had some 16 to 20 yard shots I just couldn't take. Um, had a 60 to 70 yard shot at a like 370, a toad, a big bull and several other scenarios. And you want to talk about the hammer. We, you know, we hunted seven days or something. You know, we went into probably the last bull left on that specific mountain who was hiding on top of it with his cows. Because you saw that bull. It's not a big bull. He had a lot of cows, like 20, 30 cows. And he was a happy man. Oh, and he, we knew there was an exodus off the mountain into lower altitude, lower country. And I think he had just heard it all those. Because we called him in like the second day, a third day of season. And uh, I was like, dude, there was a bull in there, but he, he was a satellite. Called him in again. Brian videoed it. Brian could have shot him, but he's calling for me. I'm like, he ain't going to stay the herd bull. No way. If you fast forward a few more days. And we we hunted five or six or seven days, but we took a break in there. Uh, Frank and I went and shot a mule deer. So we're working on the 11th, 12th, 13th of season. In my opinion, that perfect time to kill a big bull because they're not as cowed up as they will be later or or, or in some units that's a really good time after that it's going to get harder and harder last day we go in it's darker than than crap and we split the herd this is a hammer right like this is a hammer mentality and this is why this worked we split the herd we have cows to our right we have the bull to our left what do you do when you split the herd? In my opinion, you bugle. Um, and if we did. And if you're after that particular animal, absolutely. That's a, not a bad strategy in that situation. Yeah, and I mean, we, we well, I said we knew. We had a real good idea. That was the bull. And, and we looked and, Fra- and, and I said, Frank, Brian and I both saw it's the same freaking bull. He's still got this herd. <laughs> and I looked at Brian and I was like, bugle, bugle. Hey, hammer, right? You, we probably could have strolled in there, waited for the sun to come up, called the bull in and killed it. But I'm a hammer mentality. Charge in there, guns blazing. He bugled, came in. I shot it at 12 yards. Well, that, that's a hammer, right? You bugled. There's a, there's, a, there's a cause and effect. We split the herd. We want that bull to think that we have taken or trying to take some of his cows. He ran over and he was rutted up. He was pissing on himself, crushing a tree when we bugled. Full speed, he closed the distance so fast, we barely had our crap together. I shot him on a cornering two kind of frontal shot, killed him. And then there was obviously this cow scattered. That's a hammer. And if if Chris was with me in this scenario, I would probably guess we would get relatively close to the herd, wait for the sun to come up, and you probably would have just called the bull in and I would have killed it. Um, 
in that situation, that was a scenario where a hammer probably was called for. And I, I don't disagree with that at all. I but think what I'm getting at is we, we could have done other different, we could have <laughs> done it other ways. We forced but. it to where the hammer worked, right? But yeah, no, but that's exactly it. You know, but yeah. And, 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 and again, all of the different, um, scenarios that you, you know, you run into when you talk about your hammer may be a hoochie mama, right? That it doesn't, when I say that meaning, I am referring to the hammer as you have one tool. Yeah. Your hammer, let's just say the hoochie mama is a Phillips. Well, you're not going to pound nails in with a Phillips screwdriver. So you're probably not going to bugle aggressively with a hoochie mama. And a lot of people's hammer or tool of choice is squeezing that freaking cow call. Um, if that's all you got, that's all you got. But if you listen to what you're doing, not to you know throw this huge pump your head up bigger than it already is, but if you listen to what Chris teaches and you get on that site, um, you will be able to go from carrying a, a, you know a pocket knife to a Swiss Army knife to an entire toolbox relatively quickly. And again, I mean, when I was bringing up earlier, like with people messaging me and I'm like, hey, careful with bugling. I'm not a calling expert, but don't bugle all the time. And they'll bring up Corey. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not Corey. You don't have the ability. Corey, what is he, a nine-time world champion? Something, I mean, yeah. the, guy's, the guy is a phenomenal, phenomenal caller. Well, that would be like saying Frank and Aaron backpack 12 miles into 13,000 feet. Well, so that's what you Frank need to do. Aaron. Yeah, yeah so you, that's what you need to do. Yeah, no. physically, some people will be able to do yeah. it, of course. And I'm not saying Frank and I are some epic level of fitness, but we live here, we train for it. And so that specific scenario for what Frank and I are doing is going to work for some, but not all. The scenario of, of what Corey and his crew do uh, does works for him. But you're not Frank and Aaron, you're not Corey Jacobson, so you need to make sure that you're commensurate to your own abilities. And so what is horrible that will blow a valley out worse than anything is a guy wandering around all day screaming on a bugle um, that doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and I found that that happens a lot. And Corey's made fun of it. I think a guy left a note on his window that said, you bugle too much. Well, how can you argue with Corey? She kills everybody over a year, big elk. But in that guy hit He's not a call. He's not doing what Corey does. He does something different. And, and honestly, I've had guys wander around an area and bugle all day, and I wanted to kill them. I, I mean, but if it works for them, who who am I to say different? Well, you're yeah, you're right. The only the only caveat that I'll put into that though is again, you're going out and you're partic- you're 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 predetermining that you are going to go out there and try to find a bull that wants to play your game. But there's other elk on the landscape that might not want to play that game. If you're out on public ground and there's other people out there trying to kill an elk and you are out there blowing the absolutely shit out of every valley you walk through, there's going to be people like, dude, seriously, I really just spent three days finding this group. I finally got them patterned. I finally figured out how to get them. And then all of a sudden you're going to come in here and just blow the ever-loving bejeebas out of it. It can frustrate people. So when you're in a very heavily hunted area, and again, you nailed it, Frank. What you know, when I'm talking on my my stuff, everything that I talk about comes from a standpoint of solo calling. If if I am if I, I'm the one with the bow, I'm the one with the call, and I'm the one that's going to kill that animal. So when I'm calling, I'm not 
everything that I talk about can absolutely work for a team calling scenario. It works awesome. But my whole, again, call them to your toes. I, toes. I want those animals. I, the farthest I've ever killed an elk was 33 yards. The last three or four bulls that I've killed have all been under 50, or well, 17 yards was last year. So I want them point blank in my lap in heavily hunted public land areas. And the only time I, I want to be able to slip in, engage and slip out and not have any impact on the area around me whatsoever, because I, A, it's more efficient for me that way. You said it best a couple podcasts ago. I listened to you guys. How many guys are walking by elk trying to find elk? And that is a great, absolute, perfect statement because I see it every year. People are cranking across the landscape and they are just blowing by elk and they could be use they could be a lot more efficient in their efforts if they just took a little more knowledge with them. I want to make sure and touch on this so nobody just because of the messages we get. My point to the the Corey Jacobson analogy with what you do and what he does is um, that is what he enjoys. That's that right. That is what yes. he wants to do. Yes. Much like Frank and I like backpacking way in. And Frank and I will get people like, oh – why do you do that? You can kill by the road. Well, that's what we want to do. You know, that's we like backpack hunting. There's the adventure. A cool, yeah, we like the adventure. Like, yes, I could go kill and kill deer in eastern plains or, or whatever. But we like the the struggle, the adventure, that that whole scenario where Corey has no doubt the skills to call an elk however he wants. And what the I, fitness to run yeah. hill after hill after hill. Yeah, I'm just getting to that. What I'm saying is don't emulate Corey Jacobson if you're not Corey Jacobson. If that's the way that you want to hunt, then rub some funk on it. But if you're going to be, and what I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to say this because I, I love Corey to death and what he does is amazing. I'm not saying he doesn't have the ability to call many different ways. He's calling the way he enjoys it. But if you want to be calling a more well-rounded, if that's what you're going to enjoy, and in and, and several different scenarios, much like you said, the five elk in the basin, call any five of them in. Don't bugle all the time because you're not calling all five of those elk in. You may not call one of them in. You may have to go to a different basin. It's different techniques. And this is coming, again, from a guy who's a hammer who really will take whatever of those five bulls I can possibly get and may have to chase them to two more basins to kill them become more effective and more well-rounded in your calling. And that's that's what I was trying to say is, and, and I don't want, I'm not, you know, everybody has their own effective or method of, of hunting, whether it be mule deer, elk, or anything else. But well, the more tools you put in the toolbox, meaning, let's go to mule deer. Frank and I go in, we've got what? We got 10 by 42s, 15s, and 95 Physical fitness level are pretty damn high. We've got nutrition dialed in. That toolbox is full, right? We just ordered leather moccasins to be even <laughs> sneakier because he and I both have pussy feet and we can't – I can't do it in socks. I can only go so far. So we've loaded the toolbox because you're not calling deer. You're using stalking. You're using glassing is a huge part. you got to find them. You know, how long you can stay on the mountain, all that, whatever, and then obviously animal behavior. With elk, you've got that – but then you've got the vocalization, and that's where I think Chris can really, really, really help people, you know, with that, obviously, everything he does. Um, we're going to take a break for a minute because I kind of want to go into what we were talking about yesterday of people that are stuck into their ways for 30 years 
like Tom Clum talks about with shooting. Oh, yeah. And you, you get you get locked into it the same way with calling. You you can be successful like I have been, calling a certain way, get stuck in it, too hard headed to change and miss out on a lot of things. And let's talk on that when we when we come back. It's time for a pee break. 